afternoon, and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. My name is Kip Allen. I'm the host of the program. You know, this program is for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, the program is designed for me. You know, there's a lot I don't understand. It doesn't have to be something soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been bugging me for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep chapter and verse theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch-style talk of the pastor is the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Lance O'Donnell from St. Paul Lutheran Church in Akamanawak, Wisconsin. I have my questions, and I'm sure that you've got yours. You can send your questions by email at any time to letstalk at kfuo.org, or you can call in during the program if you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East. That number is 314-821-0850, or anywhere in the lower 48 states, toll-free, 1-800-730-2727. Lance, welcome to the front porch. Whoops, I did press the right button, excuse me. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. I mashed the wrong button, Lance. Not at all. Good afternoon. Hey, how you doing? I'm well, thank God. <laughs> you can never tell, huh? I am well. So I'm, uh, what, a couple months back, or April, maybe we had a conversation about um, my little run-in or with uh, blood clots and mortality. Uh, yeah. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm down about 25 pounds and feeling well, so I'm very thankful for that. Well, you know, this this actually is kind of a good lead-in to what I wanted to talk to you about today. <clears throat> Have you ever heard the old saying that if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans? <laughs> yes. Well, I think both you and I have run into this before. <laughs> and God does have a sense of humor. Sometimes you don't see it at the time, but he definitely has a sense of humor. And what I was thinking, you know, especially given this stage in our lives, you and I have both had some run-ins with mortality. And, you know, even younger people, you know, they can, they can never tell what's going to happen. And maybe it's a wise thing just to sit back sometimes and think and maybe plan about all the different branches that your life can take, that God can throw at you. Um, I'm not entirely sure how to go about doing that. I've got a couple of ideas. I'd be uh, curious to hear them. Well, <clears throat> one I've got, um, <laughs> this will really sound morbid, um, is I'm preparing my own, my own obituary. Okay. And uh, I've selected the photo that I want to be used on that thing. And uh, I've written it, I don't know how many times. Uh, I've, I've talked to my family about what I want done with my remains. I just recently spoke to my pastor about a, uh, about a memorial service. Uh, I will emphasize, I'm right now, I think I'm probably as strong as an ox, but <laughs> as we said, you know, you can never tell. There might be a Mack truck with my name out there on it out there, or... Maybe a, an aneurysm, who knows? Yeah. You, you well, can't I, tell. I encourage people, to, I mean, I encourage people to do planning for funerals and stuff. That It is interesting that you brought that up, because I was thinking planning in terms of strategic planning and long-term planning, but this is that is, my experience with families is, especially if something sudden happens, and even if it doesn't, having a basic plan is really helpful 
for the extended family in the event that that happens. Oh, I agree. Uh, you know, both my wife and I have, have filled out wills. We've got... Uh, 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 we've got uh, uh, people who will be have power of attorney and uh, and uh, and uh, financial power if if we're not capable of doing it, things like that. We've already spoken to our families, our respective families, about that, and we do have a lot planned out. But you know, there's a lot still to come. Uh, I, I remember uh, when my mother passed away. <laughs> Being a German, she was extremely organized. Believe me. Uh, and she had everything written out. You know, so my brother and I didn't have to do anything. It was just we had this checklist that we went through. You know, for example, uh, she had three sisters. And uh, she was the oldest and consequently had many uh, family, uh, her family heirlooms. And the thing was, you know, who got what? And she'd already given a list to that. So we knew, you know, this would go to Aunt Carla. This would go to Aunt Valerie, that kind of thing. And... Uh, and that saved a lot of grief. You know, it, it can. I, w- I, would, I would encourage you and all our listeners to work with your pastor on that type of plan. Um, because It helps the church. I think it helps the family. You plan the service. And, and frankly, uh, there can be a temptation when, you, when you're writing your own obituary, obituary when you're planning your own funeral service, there there can be a little temptation to uh, grandiosity, <laughs> if that's a word. Um, so, you know, the the a funeral, from my perspective as a a funeral is for the living, uh, not for the dead, and that that is a key part of. It, you can be really tempting, I think, when planning your own funeral, writing that to to talk about yourself and all that and that uh, you know that is certainly a part of it but um a key thing for funerals is to think about this is this is for the people who are left behind and to help them in many respects begin the process of of grieving and trusting in god's promises and this is one of the reasons i think for writing your own obituary and planning your own funeral uh and as you pointed out you know there, there are people we're leaving behind and uh I hope at my memorial service I'm going to get a few laughs. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, one of the things I'm going to do, as I say, this this obituary writing thing is an ongoing process. I keep changing it. Um, But one of the things I'm going to do are, are, uh, you know, what were my greatest joys? What were my greatest disappointments? What did I learn from them? That's, That's excellent. Did I ever talk to you about the two questions that I ask families for a funeral? I don't believe so. Uh, this came from some challenging experience with my very first funeral as a pastor. Uh, ever since I have asked, uh, I have asked the the loved ones two questions. One is easier, and one is really difficult. Uh, I ask them. Question number one is, what is the number one thing that you learned? from your beloved. Number two, the second question is, what's, what's your number one memory? That is, I ask them, pick a memory that encapsulates uh, their rela- your, that particular person's relationship with the deceased and tell me why that's so important. 
and what that I put all these things to do, it helps to create a tapestry of sorts as, as I prepare a funeral homily. I can see where that, where that would work. Um, I know one thing, uh, when my wife died, uh, one thing that her priest, she was Episcopal, did was she had people who had known her to get up and give some kind of an anecdote about that was something so typical of her. For example, uh, the uh, priest said, uh, my wife was, no- was notoriously late for everything. <laughs> everything. And they used to be the joke, you know, there was the uh, standard time, then there was Sandy's standard time. <laughs> and uh, he said that uh, she had been a member of his congregation for 15 years, and she'd been on time for church maybe twice. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. <laughs> little things like that and that's that's something i think uh you know i i would like you know i've been for people would come up and say you know what what do you remember about kip what what do what typified him to you and those things are those things i think are really important to talk about now i tend to prefer prefer to do i i, I tend standing with some other tradition to to try and avoid a lot of eulogizing in the funeral service itself. But we, where we are here, we really encourage uh, people to talk at the funeral luncheon or meal. So we, uh, we always have a, a PA set up with a microphone. We talk about that in preparation for the funeral with the family and have people write stuff out, encourage people to get up and talk and spend some time doing that. Well, yeah, I can see where that, that that's definitely something that should be done. Uh, but, you know, you've got, you've got to set the tone for it. And uh, to my mind, I agree with you. You know, the funeral is, is, for the, is for the living, for those who are left behind. But this should be a time of joy also for the Christian. You know, the loved one has gone to glory. Yeah, and it... And that's true. It's also true, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, there's also a time to mourn. And so very often it's both. And, you know, you know, you know, because you've dealt with this so profoundly yourself, grief is weird. And different people grieve differently and in different stages. Oh, that is so true. That is so true. I can. What if there's something like seven stages of grief? I forgot right. something like that, and I agree with that. I mean, I've I've gone through it myself. I'm sure you have as well. No doubt. There. This and this is. It, it's it's why you're doing some planning, is helpful, um, and and talking about uh, talking about this type of thing with your children is helpful. Um, now, I mean, you guys don't—you guys don't have kids. I know you have—you have stepkids, right? Well, my wife has four grown children. I—I I never had children, my, but my own. So, but you know, talking about this type of thing with them is—is is, I believe—is I believe really helpful. You know, I, I don't know if I remember if I told you the conversation I had with my son after my health scare in March. Did I tell you about this? You did, but let's recapsule it for the uh, audience who may not have heard it. So I, um, you know, I had that knee surgery and blood clots everywhere, to my surprise, afterwards and ended up in ICU. And uh, it turned out that was 
it was a lot scarier than I gave it credit for. And when I got home, and that weekend, my son was home from college, my oldest son, and I was, you know, I'm 49. All this went down when I was 49. My father had had a quadruple bypass at 48 and then had a heart attack at the wheel and died when he was 50. So, and I told my, my son, Aiden, I said, son, I want to have a serious conversation with you, and this is not a conversation you probably really want to have, but there's a couple things I want you to know. And I said, you know, when my dad, when my dad died, you know, after his bypass, he didn't take good care of himself. You know, he started smoking again, uh, probably ate too much cheese, drank too much beer, you know. And I said, honestly, son, I was, when, after he died, I was a little mad at him. Oh, yeah, I hear that. And so, I, you know, I told Aiden, I said, a lot of this is not under our control, but I know that I have some things under my control, and I don't want you to be mad at me like I was mad at my father. So I promise you that I'm going to try and do better. What I can to take care of myself, I'm going to try and do better. So, um, you know, I'm down uh, 20 pounds since that conversation, and I'm, I'm trying. And I just I needed to have that conversation with him. Well, I, I think another conversation that would be very helpful um, is your sons or your wife, you know, who's ever close to you, if you pass on, they're going to feel not just anger, they're going to feel a lot of guilt. Sure. I mean, because I mean, I, I look back at, at when my wife passed away, and boy, I felt, you name the emotion, I went through it. Rage, anger, guilt, sorrow, joy. Weird. <laughs> Trust me, really weird. Uh, and I finally had to sit down with the pastor and say, what does this mean? How do I deal with it? And that was a that was a very, very helpful discussion. And this is something that I would urge you or anyone who's listening here to tell the people who are who are left behind that these are they're going to feel these things. They're going to feel these emotions. You may not think it, but you will. Yeah. And please, please, please sit down with your pastor and and understand what this means. Because boy, it was so helpful to me. Yeah, good for you. It and it's interesting. It, our our conversations always go places where I don't think they're going to go. <laughs> well, that's what the program's about. Well, which which is really neat that this, this is a kind of planning having this type of conversation. A lot of people run away from it. You don't because it's morbid, and you don't want to. You know, you don't want to think about it, but it's a rea- it's a reality. And you know, I, I kind of had that a little bit with my son in that conversation that I just described. I said, you know, I said, so Aiden, if something does happen to me, right, live, go to church. Serve the Lord, get married, have kids, live, enjoy your life. Don't be, um, don't lose your, don't lose yourself in grief. Um, don't, you know, go on and live. And in a, in a kind of sort of way, that's a planning conversation. <laughs> it, it is, and you know, he's going to feel guilty about going ahead and living. Yeah, he might. And uh, I, I mean, I already know right now that 
I wouldn't want him to do that. Um, he's got a life. He's got a life to live, as does his two sisters and his little brother, and and his mother, for example. If I were, if something were to happen, they we were. They need they need to go on, and live. I mean, you don't want to have that conversation all the time, but I. Uh, the wages of sin is death, right? We're all gonna, we're all going to die. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it was uh, Jim Morrison once said, "Nobody gets out of life alive." <laughs> yeah, it's so. Why not on occasion? And funerals can be family funerals or something like that can be a good occasion to have those kind of conversations uh, with with your fam- with your immediate family members and so forth, and and do a little planning in that way. And, you know, there's a lot of practicality. Um, you know, like, like one thing I've, I've discussed, and actually I had to, I had to run this by uh, my pastor a little bit, um, was there is some disagreement within the Senate about, about cremation. Yes. And uh, I, want, I, want, I want to be cremated. Yeah. And this is something I did mention to my pastor. Fortunately, he's okay with that. So... You know that what they'll do is they'll have a memorial service. Maybe my ashes will be there. Maybe not. Who knows? Uh, but he's okay with that, and that that was really important to me. Sure. Um, also, I'm signed up as an organ donor. You know, and uh, I think you know my body is just a loner. You know, sure. <laughs> and uh, if I don't need it anymore, maybe somebody else can use part of it. And that's well. In the other the other side is we were we were talking about planning around death, but what you're also talking about there is, in a certain sense, is planning to live. Oh, yeah. And that is a related, you know, that's a related aspect of what we're talking about. We, we should be having conversations and thinking about thinking about the future and making making plans, and yet, as you said, what was the quotation you began with? <laughs> if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> Yeah, on the on the other on the other hand, there you know, there is there are various scriptures that point to planning and so forth, and parables of Jesus, and uh, ultimately, God disposes. You know that's true, um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't make our plans. <laughs> and you know, I think you know, looking back on my life, I think that's one of the biggest. Uh, shortcomings that I had was I really didn't plan. I'd sort of let life happen to me rather than plan it. Uh, and I had some vague ideas about what I wanted to do, but, you know, I would get distracted and not get back on course. And uh, I kept wondering, even at my advanced stage, what am I going to do when I grow up? <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but fortunately, you know, as, as weird as it sounds, you know, I had literally fell into radio. This was not something I I started to do that I that I thought I would wind up doing and uh darn you know it, I love it <laughs> I remember uh I remember first uh, a friend of mine at uh, at uh a college had invited me to sit in at the control room and see how he handled it and oh there are all these flashing lights and buttons and knobs and things oh boy <laughs> and uh I got hooked from that point on good for you I'm really curious to see. You just, you just, what you said just had me thinking about my own children. Mm-hmm. We we do we do our best. I think it's a, a key role of of a parent to help a child uh, dis, 
discover what their God-given gifts are, and then begin to develop them. And But you never know once they, you never know where that's going to lead. No, you don't. You have a sense of it, but, and, and sometimes I think our families know us better than we know ourselves, but sometimes not. Well, I know, um, for example, in my case again, uh, I talk about myself too much in this program, but uh, but when I was a young man, uh, my ambition was a military. I wanted to be a career military officer. And uh, what happened was, what uh, turned out, <laughs> turned out, I had hypertension, and the army didn't want me. Interesting. And uh, since I had been thinking this, you know, ever since I was, you know, really uh, ten or twelve years old, all the way up into my twenties. When I suddenly found out about the hypertension, actually the Army found out about it when I took the physical. And uh, suddenly all the plans that I had made and where I thought I was going, God threw me a curve. And, uh, that, and that was the hypertension thing. Yeah, that was the hypertension thing. And suddenly this, this where I thought I had my career and life planned out, uh-uh, it ain't going to happen. And I'm sitting there going, oh, golly, now what do I do with my life? <laughs> right. It, but what, I mean, you, but you did have some kind of a plan. You, you, you did have, and that gave, you, that gave you some direction. And then you had to deal with other realities on the ground, as it were. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's, that's how it goes. I, it had me, you, what you said had me thinking of, I, and forgive me if I, I if I've told you this before, but I wanted to be president of the United States. Why? From the time I was about four years old, um, before I could even read, I wanted to be president. And so when I grew up, uh, I was I, I was the president of everything. And I moved from a little farm town in Michigan to uh, Frankenmuth, Michigan, halfway through third grade. I was elected president of my class the first day I moved there. I don't know how that happened, but that's what happened. And then I was the pre- I was the government kid. I was the president of everything growing up. Student council, student body this, student leadership that. Uh, I was sure that I was going to be president of the United States. And so I went to Washington, D.C. for college because I figured, well, if you're going to be president, that you need to go to Washington, D.C. for college. And I got involved in the presidential campaign that year. Uh, that was 1988. That was Bush Dukakis, uh, that election. And I got involved, and I realized at 19 years old, I don't want to do this. <laughs> uh, and it was, it was a, a people describe um, midlife crisis, and people think I'm weird. But it was an absolute trauma for me. Uh, all I'd ever thought that I, I, I was supposed to someday run for public office and be president, and, and all of a sudden I realized, I don't want to do this. It totally threw me for a loop. Well, part of finding out what you want to do is finding out what you don't want to do. This is a very good point. That was a, a big help for me. I mean, after... This fiasco with the uh, with the with the military. I mean, heck, that's even why I learned how to speak Russian. Was I had visions of being, you know, in, in counterintelligence or something in, in the army, becoming a, a linguist. Uh, but 
I dropped out of college at the end of my junior year because as I was so, golly, I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. And uh, so I wound up working at a, uh, at a hospital in an emergency room okay. where I did all the paperwork, asked all the questions and insurance stuff and what have you. And boy, I hated that job with a passion. <laughs> And over and above that was, I look at some of my coworkers there, and this was all they were going to be doing for the rest of their lives. And uh, boy, did I realize at that point, I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew what I didn't want to do with my life. And I figured at that point, I better try to find out what it is I should be doing. And it's interesting. Some people love that type of stuff, but you are absolutely right. Sometimes you have to... You have to find out what you don't want to do or what you're not gifted for or whatever it may be, and that helps. Well, that's that's part of this uh, the, the thinking and the planning that we were talking about. Uh, it, it, it took me a while, and I'm sure God placed me there specifically for that reason. How long were you out of school? Uh, about a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, about a year and a half. And so, were you living at home, or what did you do? Yeah, I was living at home. Uh, how did that? How did that go? Well, actually, it was not too bad. Uh, my parents were, were relatively supportive of me. Uh, uh, they were insistent that I work, which was a good thing. Sure. And uh, my mother uh, ran the hospital auxiliary, and that was how I wound up uh, working in the hospital. In fact, I'd actually been working in the hospital as my summer job in between uh, schools, okay. you know, in, in between uh, school years. Um. Uh, and uh, so that was it. You know, it just, it, it taught me a great deal. And as I said, I was very fortunate in that my family was supportive of me. Uh, but, you know, I had the, it gave me time to think, which I, I managed to avoid most of my life. <laughs> it's amazing how long you could go without really thinking. And uh, it really did. It gave me time to think. And uh, I knew what it was I didn't want to do. Still wasn't sure what I wanted to do, since what I did want to do, I couldn't do. Uh, but I knew I was going to have to find out something. I was going to have to find what it was I was meant to do. When did you did you go back to school and then discover the journalism thing, or how did that happen? Well, actually, it... Uh, I, I hated the job so much <laughs> that, that I just, I started taking uh, part-time uh, courses at uh, Southern Illinois University down here. Okay. And just on a whim, I signed up for mass communications. How about that? And uh, simply to get something to do and found out I really enjoyed it. How about that? Yeah, it was weird. I just, I, I found out I really liked it. And... Uh, so I started taking more and more courses and what have, and eventually went back full time, and finally picked up uh, one degree in uh, mass communications. And I was out of school again for about five years, and decided I really wanted to hone it in a particular area, and that was journalism. So I went back to uh, to school. I went to Northwestern and picked up a master's degree in journalism there. Uh, part of it was, you know, I grew up with my dad was a journalist. Uh, so to an extent, I grew up with that. I've been a news junkie all my life. So, and that's how I sort of fell into it. Uh, you know, combining the two, uh, the the the, uh, the the two different skills, you know, that of broadcasting and that of journalism. Sure. And so that's how I wound up doing it. 
So what do you, what do you think? I'm curious, just being the pastor guy sitting next to you here. Yeah. What do you think the spiritual lessons of that are? Ah, I tell you what. Let's take a break here, and I'm going to uh, think about it, and I'll get right back to you. Deal. retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO. The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. This week on the Lutheran Hour, in a message recorded live in Mankato, Minnesota, Lutheran Hour speaker Dr. Michael Ziegler talks about spiritual renewal and the power of God's Word to bring new life to dry bones. Hear Dr. Ziegler's message, My Spirit Makes My People, this week on the Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. Concord Matters is a show seeking agreement in Christian confession. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen, one of the hosts of Concord Matters, heard on Worldwide KFUO each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central and a repeat on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Central. We take an in-depth look at the Book of Concord with some fine Lutheran theologians. Concord Matters, live on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. For years on Sunday mornings, Worldwide KFUO has been broadcasting live worship services for those unable to attend worship or for those who enjoy hearing God's Word. This Sunday, our 8.15 a.m. worship comes from Ascension Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri with presiding pastor Reverend Matt Clark. Our 10.30 worship comes from Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fenton, Missouri with presiding pastor Reverend Mark Sell. Join us on Sunday mornings on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. In 1752, the Pennsylvania State Assembly ordered a steeple bell for the State House to include the inscription proclaiming liberty throughout all the land. The Liberty Bell at Philadelphia's Independence Hall has become an icon of American history and independence. But did you know, in 2013, the Providence Forum commissioned a full-scale replica of the famed Liberty Bell for Museum of the Bible. It stands six feet tall and weighs 3,200 pounds. And the peeling of the bell is in E-flat, the same key as its original. The Liberty Bell became the first exhibit to be installed at Museum of the Bible in 2017. Emblazoned on the Liberty Bell are the same words that appear on the original from Leviticus 25.10. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, 
Good afternoon, and welcome back to Let's Talk the Pastors In. I'm program host Kip Allen. My guest pastor today is Pastor Lance O'Donnell from St. Paul Lutheran Church in Akamanawak, Wisconsin. Love saying Akamanawak. We're talking about planning and and thinking, and this is something I think a lot of people somehow manage not to do: is to really sit and think at what is going to happen with your life and how God plans it out. If you've got some thoughts on this and you want to join the discussion, well, you can email us at letstalk at kfuo.org, or you can call us in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, at 314-821-0850, or in the lower 48 states, toll-free, 1-800-730-2727. Well, Lance, you asked me a question. What spiritual what was the spiritual act uh, aspect of this and it was it was thinking it was a deep thought uh, that somehow I was being guided uh, I, I don't know how else to describe it it was just because it was like when I suddenly decided hey I this is what I want to do and it was a and it was a uh, it was a surprise, a very pleasant surprise, but nonetheless, it was a surprise. So I'm trying to think further of the spiritual aspect of that. I'm trying to think, you know, part of it is that, you know, how much or how little we actually are in control of our own lives. And I guess we'll never really know that. <laughs> yeah, well, we, right, there's, there's um, one of my one of my favorite books on creativity and education philosophy is a there's a really popular from years ago TED talk by uh, Sir Ken Robinson uh, and he wrote a book called The Element and he he describes the ele- the element if i remember rightly is is where what you're the where what you're passionate about and what you're good at where those things cross and he can he contends that that's a big part of what schools should be about is helping people find that and develop it and what parenting is about. I and I I happen to agree a great deal because I I think that has a lot. It indic it indicates vocation, or can give an indication of vocation, a, a sense of calling. You know, where where what am I good at and what do I what am I really interested in? Yeah, yeah, and sometimes you have to wait to find out what they are, and sometimes it takes a while. And some, you know, sometimes you know those. Some people know that when they're young, right? And some people, um, some people never know. Uh, could have never imagined something, and then just were put in a situation, and lo and behold, look what I'm good at. Yeah. Well, you know, like my my brother, uh, he's a retired uh, electrical engineer. And he knew from childhood he wanted to be an engineer. There's just never any doubt. And he knew, and he just did it his whole life. I love those people. <laughs> well, engineers are strange people, believe me. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, just, we just laid to rest a couple months ago our, the second longest serving pastor in the 153-year history of my congregation. Uh, Paul Boardman uh, died this winter. And... Paul was one of those guys 
that wanted to be a pastor from when he was about seven years old, which I think is amazing. And, and then he went, he went through the old system. Uh, he, they sent him off when he was 13 years old, an only child. Uh, his parents shipped him off from northern Wisconsin down to Milwaukee uh, for prep school to be a pastor. And that, that is hard for me to imagine. But he, wanted, he knew he wanted to be a pastor from, he, from when he was in second or third grade. Where your parents would threaten you to go to a Lutheran school. <laughs> That's right. Right, and I ran the other direction. That is an amazing story to me. And whether it's your, your you said it was your brother that wanted to be an engineer mm-hmm. at the time he was little or... Yeah, there's never any doubt. That's what he wanted to do. I, you know, that, I think that's wonderful. It, it's also wonderful to discover those type of things later. Um, there's not one, it's, if I may, it's one of, uh, for all of our faults as a country and for all, the, for all the issues we have in our educational system, one of the great things about American education is that you can change your mind or you can be a late bloomer. In many places in the world, you get pigeonholed as a child, and it's basically feudalism. And you, never, you don't really get a chance to do something else. But here in this country, you, know, you, can, you can be in middle age and discover a different set of gifts and go back to school and start over again. Well, many people have done that. I mean, uh, Colonel Sanders, I think, he, he decided to do this chicken thing in middle age. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, of course, a lot of people try to do things and it doesn't work out. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, and it's and I, I love the idea that you just brought up about combining what you want to do with what your talents are. You know, it's, it's a blending of avocation and vocation. Yeah. And uh, that that's a beautiful concept when it happens, when it pulls together like that. And that is part of what we're talking about, is thinking and planning. And you, you really got to give that some deep thought. And it's going to take time, I think, with most people to understand really what it is that they want to do and what they are best at. And they may not be the same thing, but you may even be able, as I, was my case, may be able to find a way to, to combine the two. You know, now you have me thinking about my weekend ahead. Okay, tell me about it. Because I have, uh, this, well, this weekend we are going, our, our 28-year uh, organist and choir director re, is retiring uh, on pen, after, pen, after the Pentecost service this weekend, uh, Diane Blakey. And we're really looking forward to that celebration. And then Sunday afternoon, my plan is I'm getting in. Uh, we're going to load up our little pop-up camper and go away for a couple days. And I'm thinking my, my 20-year-old daughter, um, you know, had a little bit of a change of plan after she went to college this last year. And she, she's in a at least an analogous situation to what you are. And I'm thinking this would be a great time for us to pray and do some thinking um, when we're away this weekend and out in the woods. That it will, it'll be a good time for us. And 
That's a great idea. That so for you know, your for our listeners out out here, we you know you plan, but we we if we're going to do this rightly, you you base you base that plan in prayer, in meditation. I, I think if we're going to do we're going to do it rightly, you, know, mm-hmm. you open up the open up the scriptures and reflect on them and. You know, lay your heart before the Lord and say, you know, this is what I'm thinking, and so on and so forth. But at, you ask the Lord for wisdom, and and you and then you go you go on a long walk or whatever, and you reflect on it. I know my parents, um, uh, and I think this was bad advice on their part. Was they they said to sit down and make a list, draw this out, and draw that out. What's the pros? What's the cons? And that's looking at it way too logically. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a big fan of lists, but tell me why you think <laughs> that's too logical. Well, it, it, it when you decide your vocation or your avocation, that's in the gut. It's not necessarily in the brain. Now, I would suggest it could be both. But, huh? yeah, if, if the gut's not there, I mean, this is what Ken Robinson is getting at in the element. It's the, the, intersec- the intersection of what you're passionate about, the gut with what you're actually good at, uh, which can show up on a list. Um, uh, it, I, I'm, I, 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 I hear you. I, I, I just, I married, a, I married a, a girl. I used to be a, a more a fly by the seat of your pants guy. <laughs> okay. And I married a list making girl <laughs> and, and she's converted me um, to at least the, the process of, of writing some stuff up. We did this with our kids when they were picking where they were going to go for college. Mm-hmm. For my, my son in particular, my daughter was pretty wired in where she wanted to go, but my son Aiden was really torn between um, a state school here in Wisconsin where his best friend was going to be at school and, and then one of our Concordias, and he was really, he was really torn. And so we spent a, we spent a lot of time actually praying and working a list for him. And it, it, that it helped him make a decision. Well, you know, you can. I'm I'm, I'm thinking again. Maybe and there are some cases where the gut is not necessarily right. For example, choosing your life partner. <laughs> oh my gosh, I just love this woman. I have to be with her for the rest of my life. I just got to do it. You want to live in the same city? That's it's, yeah, especially that's a decision you want you don't want to make if you're in Las Vegas. Or- yeah. <laughs> is 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 the fact that she's not religious is that going to impact me? Uh what do, do we both want children or not? Uh how many? Uh, things like that, you know, where you actually have to sit down and and make that darn list because your gut is just saying, oh, my God, I can't live without this woman. Well, think about it again. Did did you have a list second time around? Uh, To an extent, (laughs) you know, to an extent I did. Question to ask on the radio. Yeah, no, uh, to an extent I did. Um, I, I did. Well, it was it was partially on this 
what I didn't want as part of the uh, part of the list was what I didn't want to do. Uh, you know, because I just I just emerged from you know thirty two years of marriage and going through that health thing with her and everything. End, right? And uh, you know, there I took a. I took a sabbatical, you know, three or four months. I was uh, went out to New Mexico and just sat and tried to think, what am I going to do now? How about that? Yeah. And uh, son of a gun, turned out that the uh, Lutherans were looking for a radio guy <laughs> in my old hometown where I grew up. How about that? Gee, do you think maybe somebody's trying to tell me something? <laughs> and it uh, turns out that uh, I met this... Uh, Woman who, ironically, had been involved with my best friend. <laughs> okay, you know, years ago, like twenty years ago, <laughs> and we started talking and find out how much we had in common. And yeah, so yeah, there was a list that came up, but it came up through through the discussion, through the talk between the two of us. Uh, it was really kind of a, <laughs> a very strange meet in some ways, because I say, because it turned out that we had known of each other, but didn't know each other, because you know, because of our mutual friend. Sure. <laughs> About that. Oh, that was so funny. Yeah, I, I, I encourage, and I have encouraged my my older children as they headed off to college to actually write down some things that were important to them about. Uh, a, a potential future spouse that and, is vital and to let that inform or attempt to let that inform how they conducted themselves uh, in terms of relationships in school um, I, I might I might have avoided uh, a good deal of trouble as an undergraduate had I done such a thing um, well, and yeah. again, whether I would have listened to my own list or not is another, is another matter entirely Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. That's you know part of part of being young is that you make mistakes, especially at that stage in my life. But I, I, after you know, after a series of foolish decisions and regrettable behavior, I, I didn't have a written list, but I, I had. I mean, I had criteria in my mind for what I knew was necessary for me and um and then i and then i met this beautiful band girl uh that met all the criteria uh much to my surprise you know and i uh one of the biggest decisions i had to make was did i want to get involved again yeah and you were how old i was mm, i knew you were going to ask me that uh i was uh, in my early 60s yeah yeah, I was in my early 60s. And, uh, gee, do I want to get involved again? Do I want to go through this again? Maybe I should just stay alone. And that, that was a real, actually, when, when I when I first went out to uh, to New Mexico, that really was my plan, was uh, I was going to stay there. I was going to, uh, I was going to, uh, <laughs> I was going to get the single wide. This is the plan. I was going to get a single wide on, some uh, on some land and place for my dogs, and that was it. And yeah. so, during the course of your prayer and meditation, what was it that made you realize that wasn't going to fly? That I wasn't meant to be alone. Yeah, 
that it wasn't meant to be alone. Um, I, I'm one of those people who often enjoy my own company, but <laughs> <laughs> there's something missing. Yeah. Make, it makes me, th- I have a, I don't know if I told you this story, but I have a, I have a, a, a late beloved cousin, my cousin Steve, who um, was a private pilot and in uh, 2003 uh, crashed his plane and his wife and two of his children died in that plane crash. Oh, gee. And he and his eight-year-old son survived. And um, it was, you know, it was a horrific accident and he watched, you know, he watched his wife and two other children die. And I can't imagine anything worse than that. It was, uh, I was, you know, it happened about 45 minutes from where I lived and I was called to the hospital that night to the burn unit to go see him. I've, I've never seen grief like that in all my life and I hope I never do again. But one of the things that I loved, uh, I love about Steve is even in the midst, in the midst of his grief and he, he loved his uh, first wife, Julie, as holy and purely as any man that I've ever met. But when they, you know, when he came out, whereas, you know, I might have, he had a son, but Steve made a decision, as it were, you know, he had a life to live, and he had a boy to live for, and at, at first, he would he thought he could never love a, a woman again like he loved Julie. But he, what he discovered is, probably in a similar way to what you discovered when you were out in the desert, is he was full of love, and that love had to find expression. Mm. And and he met a wonderful, wonderful Christian woman um, who became uh, Austin's second mom. Um, she was never the stepmother. She was the second mom. Uh, Steve adopted uh, this woman's three children. Um, and uh, it just what you said made me think of him, you know, that he, he knew that he had love to give. And it, that, that love had to find expression. And, and he, had, he, had, he had decided he couldn't live alone. He wouldn't live alone, and he would search for the right partner, and he found a wonderful woman. Well, it took a few months for me, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah, this is, again, this is part of it, you know, and, and what we're talking about thinking and planning, you know, I didn't plan to come and find a new wife, but I just knew that being alone wasn't for me anymore, and it was time for me to re-enter life, and as I said, I found son of a gun, the Lutheran Synod's looking, the Missouri Synod's looking for a broadcaster, <laughs> and, and uh, oh, God moves in mysterious ways. Thank heavens for it, right? No doubt. And so, I, you know, I would say to I would say to our listeners out there today is is don't be afraid to make plans and make a list. And you do that in you do that based in as someone who is in worship and and in meditation and prayer as you as you make your plans. And and then and then be prepared for God to change your plans, um, but that doesn't mean don't have a plan. Oh yeah, 
Oh, yeah. And uh, things change. You know, stuff happens. But there's a spiritual aspect that you ask me about. You know, what, what, what did I learn uh, during that period where I was wasn't did, had no idea what to do with my life? Um, it wasn't quite surrendering to what God wanted. In fact, I had to take an active role in 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 determining things. For example, like I said, you're determining I really didn't want that life. I didn't want to work in the hospital anymore. Sure. Uh, but that's part of it. You know, you, you got to think. You really do. You have to sit down and think hard. And that's not easy. You know, it's it's easy to say, okay, I'm going to sit down and think about this problem. No, it's not. Because you really have to rip your soul bare and be truthful to yourself. And boy, I got to tell you, people lie to themselves all the time. Yeah, we do. Isn't that <laughs> that's a comment on humanity? <laughs> we lie to ourselves. Well, and it, it's also, it, it also speaks, in a sense, to the seeking the wisdom of others. You know, when when we're making our when we're making our plans. Oh yeah. There, there's something there's something to be said for if you've got close friends, people people who are willing to tell you to speak the truth and not love, and not just tell you what you want to hear. Of you know, seeking some wise counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, now I didn't do that. In retrospect, I probably should have. But. I was guided to the right answer eventually. Took a long time, mind you, but well, I can think of times where where I went solo and time in times where I sought counsel of others, but there there's something to be said for uh, for that for sure. Especially people that trust you and you know you're going to that are going to tell you the truth. Well, that was, you know, I told you when um toward the very end when my my wife was was on her way out, uh I had all those mixed emotions and just didn't know how to handle it. That's when I really did seek spiritual advice. That's when I sat down with the pastor. And thank God for this man. He was so able to explain to me what was going on and and uh, that God understood. That was so important to me. Yep. Because I was really feeling pretty uh, unworthy. Sure. Well, and it can be a good time to talk to your pastor when your plans implode, um, there's there's a there's a place in our lives as Christians for lament. You know, read read Jeremiah or Lamentations, and there there's a there's a place in spiritual direction that a pastor gives of you know if you've had your plans and everything was going in your life is what whatever you planned has fallen apart, and you just need to cry out. That's not a bad thing to do with your pastor. And no, it's a very good thing to do with the pastor. Well, we're coming to the final 30 seconds, Lance. Any uh, any closing thoughts? I would just reiterate to the people, don't be afraid to plan, and do so in the context of being somebody who is in worship and praise, and then we pray, thy will be done. And uh, usually we have to live by that. Yeah. And the knowledge that your plans may or may not come true, but there is a plan for you. Amen. Well, thanks very much for being at the program, Lance. I always learn new things from you. It's a great show. I love having you on. 
Thank you for having me. <laughs> Anytime. Man, we'll do this again. You've been listening to Let's Talk, The Pastor is In. I'm program host Kip Allen. Guest pastor today was Pastor Lance O'Donnell from St. Paul Lutheran Church in Akamanawak, Wisconsin. God bless you all. listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with the pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO.